It is Monday, the 13th of February. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, in just a minute, Dan. Carter Braxenworth of Worth Charting will be joining us. This, of course, is Market Call. Today's episode brought to you, Dan, by Faxet, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. Now, I know everybody thinks the big story of the weekend are the uh, Chiefs of Kansas City defeating the Eagles of Philadelphia last night. That is a story. Obviously, the big story of the weekend was the Rangers going into Carolina's second night of a back-to-back and throttling the first-place Hurricanes 6-2. Of course, Artemi Panarin with four goals breaking out on top of which has been a good season for the, the European, the Russian winger. Back to you, Dan. The Russian winger. Um, there's a lot of places we could go with that guy. Um, yeah, let's well, do this thing. Let's 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 do the yes, markets. Let's yes. do the markets here because our good friend Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, the man, the myth, the legend. He's just he's just sticking to his guns, guy. And I think this is really important. He's saying that the stock market is ignoring reality. Uh, it's re- the the reality that earnings and prematurely price in a pause and federal reserve rate hikes according to us. I mean, listen, this is the issue, right? So like for some reason in the last, I want to call it, I don't know, month to two months or something, the market participants have become convinced that a pause means a cut. I mean, means like that it's going to actually provide the same sort of kind of uh, oomph that you might say that would be associated with a market rally that would come after you know a year full of hiking rates and then declining those rates and 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 again the Fed's not saying that I mean they're just not saying that and ultimately the lag effects of higher rates for longer is the thing that is likely to continue to hit uh, S and P earnings. Is yeah, that fair to that, say? that's exactly right. I, you know, again, if the Fed were to say that's it, we're done. Let's just play it through for a second. We're done for the rest of the year, and rates are going to stay where they are, and then just play it forward. I mean, what type of environment do we find ourselves in? It's still an environment where layoffs are happening. It's still a slowing earnings growth environment, and margins are contracting. And in a higher interest rate, slower growth environment you shouldn't be paying a premium market multiple, which, by the way, is where we are right now. And by definition, the earnings part of that equation, if you're going to multiply the two to come to a number, that actually is going lower as well. So I'm not personally, I mean, listen, a day like today, once again, has me scratching my head. To a certain extent, Friday had me scratching my head. I think we're going to have a lot more clarity this time tomorrow on the back of the CPI number. But I think Mike Wilson is exactly right. I think the market is discounting or in fact, ignoring a lot of the things, a lot of the headwinds that are out there. Yeah. And and let's look at the S and P 500 here, because again, and and when Carter comes in a couple minutes, maybe we'll look at this again and and kind of get a a fresh set of eyeballs on this. I mean, if you keep drawing, you know, this downtrend, it does look like, you know, we have this bit of a breakout. We, we almost had a little bit of a retest late last week of that downtrend. Um, And to your point tomorrow, that CPI number, I mean, that's, that's going to, I mean, listen, that's the next hundred points in the S and P 500 in either direction. Right. So if the thing comes in hotter than expected, we're going to have the S and P probably, you know, retesting 4,000 below that um, downtrend. And if we have it come in further than expected, um, you know, you're going to see what we're going to be on our way to that 4,250, which is mm-hmm. that um, August highs. Now I think there's a way 
to look at this S&P chart without those lines, and we'll wait for Carter to do that. And maybe it is showing something a little different here. Maybe we're seeing a series, um, you know, of uh, higher lows, and and maybe if we get through that 42.50, the whole thing looks different. But again, the Nasdaq is the one that I'm kind of most focused on, guy, because when you think about some of the guidance we heard from those large U.S. multinationals, the largest companies in our market, there was nothing in the guidance that I heard of any of those companies that reported over the last two weeks that made me think, okay, whatever the peak to trough declines were, um, they don't really measure up with what we think is going to be a very sidewards action in their margins and their earnings and their sales growth. And all of them have been seeing, uh, you know, massive deceleration after the pull forward from the pandemic. Am I right to be focused on the NASDAQ if well, you think that that might be the sort of leading indicator for stocks? Well, I mean, they obviously, I mean, those NASDAQ names we talk about all the time, I mean, they are, they are, they basically are the heft. I mean, they're the the engine behind a lot of these moves. But to your point, and I think the reason why you should be focused on it, these are not short cycle things. I mean, the headwinds that, again, Asachi Nadella talked about a couple months ago when he did that interview from India, they don't abate over the course of weeks. They take months, if not quarters. And I think he's focused on that. And it's not just him. A lot of CEOs have said similar and when you have rounds of layoffs in technology, it's not because you think in a month from now we'll just reaccelerate things. I mean, these are typically long cycle things and valuations matter in this environment. So I think you're right to be focused on it. And if we could quickly bring up that other chart, that S&P chart, why not? We'll toggle back. I mean, we've said for a while that with each passing day, we get closer to that sort of inflection point. And the inflection point lines up, again, if you put that chart up real quick, with those points connecting, with the 200-day moving average being basically spot in the middle of it. And the question you have to ask yourself is, do we break hard through the uptrend line or do we hold that downtrend line and trade up to the levels we saw in August? Personally, I think it's lower. I think I've been pretty clear. But you know, I also know that um, there's a, <laughs> the market has a way of humiliating and humbling us all. Yeah, matter of fact, I mean, you and I ha have that happen every once in a while here, guy. All right, let's bring no, more in more than Timo. once in a while for me there, Kimosabi. But no, I, I, I got you, buddy. I'm, I'm listen. I'm positioned the same way. I, near term, I'm positioned for an S and P that's going to be retesting four thousand, and Nasdaq that uh, the one hundred that's going to be coming back. You know, at least to that two hundred day, it's eleven nine three one um, down there. All right, let's bring in Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting here because again. Love to get his take. Hey, Carter, how are you, bud? Hey, Thank guys. you for joining us as Good. always. A um, couple things here. Let, let, let's look at the S&P. And before you had a note on worth charting this morning on, on yields on the 10-year, and we're going to let you talk to that. We have the screenshots um, of your email. Um, and, and again, I think what's going on with the 10-year is really interesting. You know, we had it below three and a half. Now we have it at, what, 372. Um, you know, I, we were all in the camp of lower yields, but that bounce off of that three and a half level um, and, and what the Fed has been saying about what they want to do um, with Fed funds uh, higher for longer, um, especially if they have higher inflationary readings. Just curious a little bit on the S&P 500. You know, would, should we stop drawing that downtrend um, and should we start looking at maybe the guys can throw up a chart without any lines, just a, a kind of one year. And if you didn't think it was the S&P 500 in the way that you do your work, you know, you often don't cluster stocks or indices together. I'm just curious, without the lines, without a 200-day, I know you like to look at the 150, does this S&P start looking like something that's trying to put in a bottom? Well, it's been, it's been, first of all, the, the further you go from a low, right, the more import that low has, right? Mm -hmm. So, for instance, 
one could say after 1987 crash, and then we kind of revisit, but we didn't, or the 09 low or, or the COVID low, right? We're, we're, we're nowhere near that. So time and price, time and price as anything develops heals. Um, for now, what we know is that this high is lower than the August high. The August high is lower than the April high, and the April high is lower than the high that was the January peak in the market. So that definitionally, we're still in a downtrend. What, what needs to be determined, and we'll know soon enough, is whether this is healed enough, October 13th, 14th low, here we are, Feb 13, um, is enough time passing that those lows are starting to have more import. Uh, my bias remains the downside, but every day that that goes further without checking back, I think a minimum we check back to whatever moving average one prefers. I use the 150, but it's the same thing, 200. And how it responds to the moving average will be very important. Yeah, I think Carter's point is spot on. The longer, you know, the longer in duration we remain significantly higher than those October lows, the more you'll have people saying, <clears throat> I'm behind the eight ball here, I need to catch up. And then to a certain extent, regardless of fundamentals and to a certain extent of technicals, things become self-fulfilling. I just don't think we're there yet. I mean, we're a month and a week or two weeks into the new year. And at least from what I've heard, you know, the news around stocks, the news on the geopolitical front, and quite frankly, you know, some of the other indicators that we look at are not all that bullish. The only thing, oddly enough, that has been bullish has been the price action, Dan. Yeah, no doubt about it. And again, we've been tracking yields very closely. And I think, you know, Carter, your charts that you sent out to um, worth charting. Subscribers this morning on the 10-year yield are really interesting, especially the lines that you draw, that you have a, a log chart going back to 2021 and then one going back to 2019. And um, I think that you used in that note one of your expressions that you like to use here. But, the, but, but it's banging up at some levels. Talk to us how you're thinking about yields here because, you know, again, like I started out by saying, I think we were all in the camp when we we were at 4% in the 10-year or north of that. We thought it would come down for some qualitative reasons that at least Guy and I did. You were looking at the technicals suggesting that you would see a retest of that uptrend. Well, we got it, and now here we are retesting at that much shorter duration downtrend. Right. So the um, the first sentence of the client note was jump ball is mm -hmm. what comes to mind when we look at this chart. Now, we are, I am, remain in the, have been in the rates lower camp, that those yields at 4% plus are important highs. And we did get down, as you cite, to below 3.5, and now we've rallied. But it is what's so interesting, and this is really the important thing, that you get setups, technically, that either foreshadow a resolution, predict a resolution, or in this case, are telling you that there's about to be a resolution. Here's what I mean by that. We know there's information coming. It is the CPI. And it's not random why those lines look the way they look. It's a big juncture. And it's not only a big juncture on this two-year chart, whatever it is. Look at the look at if we pick up the um, the low. That's mm -hmm. the absolute plunge low in rates. We've hit a hundred-year storm, literally a plague. People are dying, and everyone's sitting in their house and wondering whether their own relatives have a disease and they should go in the same room with them. I mean, a disaster, right? So here we have as epic an uptrend line as can uh, be drawn, not manipulated in any way. The lines uh, draw themselves. And so we shall see. Um, now, what we do know is moving above that minor downtrend line a little bit doesn't mean a whole lot. 
but you start to move above it definitively, and then it does mean a lot. For now, look, it, it is a jump ball. I think anyone's guess here, and I'll just speak for myself, is as good as any. Yeah, and you know, it's Carter. It's, you obviously, as I said a thousand times, in terms of technical analysts, you're at the top of the list. But you also had a um, economics fundamental cap that you wore, and so I want to ask you this question, and it's somewhat self-serving, but here we are at levels where I can make an argument that rates going higher here uh, are not suggestive of economic growth and potentially could be very detrimental to the broader market. And if ten-year yields go down from here, um, it's also could be negative. I mean, the knee jerk, maybe again, some of these high growth, high valuation stocks rally, but you know, lower rates from here is not particularly bullish either. So it's one of those situations where if this does break one way or another through the equity lens, it could both could be negative. And both could be positive. That's what's so fascinating, right? I mean, higher rates would mean that, you know, maybe things are no recession, right? That things are a little firmer than, than feared just two, three months ago, and that there is going to have to be further Fed tightening, but then one says, well, further Fed tightening is negative. And so it, it's ever thus. What is important is that it's not random that those lines all are converging exactly when a piece, of, it's why a stock that's sitting at a breakout juncture, mm -hmm. often it's the fundamentals that cause the breakout, but it's the chart that's telling you you're about to get a positive resolution. Um, I, I, it is as close to 50-50. So then this is where biases come in. Um, Mine remains that rates uh, go lower, but we shall see. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So we're talking about the potential for higher yields, and they have bounced of late. And again, maybe it's just off of that, like, that level that psychologically is important, three and a half percent to some people. But the other thing that that has obviously after a precipitous drop was, you know, the U.S. dollar, the Dixie. Um, that's been moving up. It's moved up a couple percent or a few percent over the last, um, you know, week or so. And then if you look at crude oil, which again, I think, guy, you know, you kind of mentioned um, earlier today when we were talking with Liz Young on on our on the tape podcast. You know, it's been stuck in the mud here. You you, you look at where it's trading. Yeah, it's below its um, 200 day here, but it's really kind of banging around, but um, it's up a little bit over the last, you know, low 70s, maybe, um, you know, the high 70s in the last week, week or two. But if you were to see yields go higher, you see the commodities go higher, you were to see the dollar go higher, I I'm hard pressed to think that that is a bullish um, setup for stocks near term. Carter, thoughts here, because you put those three things together after the short term bounce and equities. Yeah, they've come off a little bit, but man, the S&P is up, you know, more than 7% of the year. The uh, NASDAQ's up more than 13% of the year. Pretty good action, despite we're seeing like, some upward pressure on those things that are likely or usually headwinds to stocks, uh, stock prices, I guess. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the S&P year to date return, it is already what the average year returns, right? Generally speaking, Markets return somewhere between six and nine percent. We're up seven and a half. Uh, it's it's been a big uh, big go. Is it simply a function of we had one of the worst December's on record? Possibly. Um, but as to crude, my hunch is higher, and that we work back towards uh, eighty five is what I'm looking at. Guy, thoughts here because you know you've had a nice little thesis, and we again check out our podcast that we had with Liz Young. It's in the podcast store on the tape uh, this morning. Dropped a little bit ago. We were talking about a, uh, and we're not going to get into it right now. But there was an article in the Journal um, about hey, if you're waiting for China and their reflation and growth to kind of buoy the global growth like it did post the financial crisis, don't wait too long. Some of the trends might be a little different. They might be a bit more um, domestically focused there. And it was interesting because guys 
they did highlight the fact that in, in actuality, if our companies, U.S. multinationals, don't have the same um, kind of access, let's just say, to that increased demand in China, but they do face maybe the increased demand that's working its way into the energy market or other industrial commodities, that could be inflationary. That's been something you've been talking about in the lead up to the kind of China reopening trade. Thoughts on that? Because that's that would be a pretty nasty scenario, I think, for the U.S. and Europe, if that was the case. I think that's exactly right. I mean, sort of the reacceleration of inflation on the back of that, not necessarily doing anything to crude demand, but, you know, reaccelerating inflation on some of the other fronts that we don't talk about as much, but are probably equally important. And I think there's an absolute, I mean, I think there's a concern that that could happen. And I think the Fed probably clearly understands that. I mean, if you just listen to their language, they're concerned about something. In terms of crude oil, yeah, it's gone nowhere. I mean, go back to September, October, it was an $80 item. It's an $80 item now. You've had a little, some moves up and down in the meantime, but it's basically where we've been for the last six months. With that said, though, some of these underlying equities have done extraordinarily well. So for those of you that say we're always negative, maybe in the broader market sense, but there have been some pockets that we've been very constructive on. And one of them in some of these energy stocks, and again, OIH reversed today higher. ExxonMobil made a new all-time high last week. Uh, some of these big integrated names, again, getting off the mat. So I think the trade in energy is still alive and well, regardless of where crude goes. And if crude were to sort of start to chug higher on the back of some supply concerns, which are out there without question, then I think it gives tailwinds to a se sector right now uh, that's basically devoid of wind either way. Yeah. And so, you know, we talked a lot about what had been the beneficiary this year. There's been a rotation out of some of the stuff that worked last year when the markets were kind of ugly. And we've seen healthcare, we've seen staples, we've seen energy come off just a little bit. But again, to your point, guys, gotten back on its horse. Uh, the utility sector has come off a little bit. And all those charts look pretty similar. But Carter, you had a note out, I think over the weekend, um, on the healthcare sector. And you said it's done something that it's rare. It has not done too frequently. Walk us through your thoughts here, because this one's looking kind of interesting. And I know Guy wants to talk about some of the large components in the XLV, the healthcare select ETF that you're using to chart here. Sure. So we just, you know, you're always in search of hunting around, looking for anomalies, opportunities, uh, ratios that seem off or great trends that look as though they're about to stop and reverse or great trends look as they're going to continue. And um, at the end of last week, healthcare closed down for the week, but it was also the seventh consecutive week that the sector, those are weekly uh, bars mm -hmm. there, uh, down. Now, Going back to the beginning of GIC's sector data in 1989, um, the healthcare sector has never gone down eight weeks in a row. And curiously, of course, um, the question is, is that something you bet on? So the three other times it did go down seven, you see it here on the table, and it was up in week eight. Now, is that something you bet the farm on? No. Is that something you make a small bet on? Of course. And not only for that reason, um, but if you look at the chart of XLV or IYH or any other aggregate that measures uh, S&P 500 or large cap, it's it's a sell-off, a check back to trend to a now rising 150-day moving average. And my thinking is you play for a bounce. Now, let's sort of break this down a little bit because I don't think it's coincidence that healthcare, which was a flight to safety for a long time, has been under pressure as some of these higher growth, high evaluation names have taken off. So there's been a rotation going on without question. It's gone on for seven weeks, which I didn't realize, but Carter's chart speaks to exactly that. So if Carter is right, which I think he will be, 
then you have to ask yourself, what are the set of circumstances that are going to make him right? Is it a rotation back out of some of these high growth, high valuation names into some of the healthcare sector stocks? Now, UNH is a great example. I think we can pull up a chart real quick. We've had a pretty precipitous sell-off from its recent all-time high. Um, but again, this is a stock that I think will find its, I think in this case, is a 200-day moving average once again. It's a stock that was probably expensive at its zenith, but it's gotten to a more reasonable valuations. And if I don't think we can do this, but if you were to look back over the last 10 or 15 years, this is also a stock that we've seen moves to the downside of this magnitude before. And each time has been part of this lower left, upper right situation. And there's the chart that sort of illustrates exactly that. So I like UNH. I mentioned it because it's the largest component. Then you go down the list, J&J, another stock that's had a little bit of a sell-off recently. All these names, actually. UNH, J&J, I think Merck is third. I think Eli Lilly is fourth in terms of components of the XLV. And all of them have had little sell-offs from their recent all-time high, which, Dan, coincide again yeah with a rotation out of those, I guess, defensive names, quote unquote, into some of these higher growth, high valuation names. Yeah, it's funny. You know, this XLV caught my eye um, last week, just, just, you know, like seven weeks in a row. I, I wasn't thinking about it the way Carter phrased it. It was just like a really steady, well-defined, but but not violent, not 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 volatile. You know, you know what I'm saying? And then it moved back to that moving average. And it was on my kind of kind of list here now if you look at the move that it had you know off of the lows last fall you'd say okay if it doesn't hold here then it's got some more room to the downside i was looking at it two different ways i i could buy the xlv here it's trading at 133 i might stop it down at like 130 which is to me it's like the 200 day you know so at that point i'm risking about two percent there's another way i could play this i could look at the options market look out to march expiration and the march 133 call is offered about 275. Again, that's about 2%, right? So when I'm thinking about a trade like this based on a technical read by somebody like Carter here, I kind of want to use some parameters and I want to stop myself. And so I think that if you're one of those people who are actually disciplined and you can use stops and, and you know, I think you buy the XLV here and you think about cutting your losses at that moving average, or if you like the idea of defining your risk, and using options, the options are priced, I think, very fairly if you're looking out about five weeks or so. Carter, thoughts on, on those levels and how to stop something like this? Because really what you're looking for is a move, you know, you're looking for a 3 to 5% move uh, of a re kind of retest of some levels where it was trading just a few weeks ago. Right. So the two things to consider in addition to the technicals, is this idiosyncratic to healthcare or is it just as you will we're discussing, is it a defensive thing? Staples have been down almost as much. Utilities have suffered. But it is curious, again, that, again, this particular sector down seven consecutive weeks in a row. And consider this, the S&P 400 mid-cap healthcare sector was actually up six of the past seven. So to some extent, it is idiosyncratic, right? It is just that J&J is having a particularly bad moment and, and, and Pfizer is heavy, and UNH, the big managed care, is, has rolled. Uh, but it is also just about mean reversion. You get a very orderly, and that's what it has, not a collapse, sell off to a level of support. And so you play accordingly. And in turn, if it's wrong, there's nothing wrong with being wrong, only staying wrong. Just get the hell out. Mm. Um, and the levels you've cited are right. And I'm reading, Dan, quickly. I know you want to jump in, but I'm reading some of the comments, and Again, I think if your thesis is just one person's opinion here, but if your thesis is the broader market is due for a pause, 
and you could see the rotation back. We have seen big cap healthcare names, specifically the ones that we cited in the XLV, do well in an environment where the broader market's not doing well. So I think the setup here for a myriad of different reasons is really good. Now, you cited sort of 130 on the downside. I mean, if we can put up that XLV chart quickly, I mean, the real support level comes in probably around 120 or thereabouts, if I were to guess. I'm not suggesting you have to risk that much, but that's the ultimate level of support. But with that said, the option you outlined in terms of risk-reward, I think, sets up pretty nicely. Yeah. No, again, I mean, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to take Carter's technicals. We're trying to take guys, um, you know, uh, fundamental view here. And we're trying to look at different ways to kind of play this if you're inclined um, to kind of agree with us here. So, again, I think in both instances, whether you're buying the XLV here, you probably want to stop it at the 130 level because the guy's point, there's like an air pocket down to 120. And then on the upside, it, you know, if you like using options. And, and again, when I buy a, a $2.75 call at the money and I'm looking out five weeks, I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to ride that to zero. I always like to use like a mental stop about 50% of the premium that I spent. So I'm risking about 1% of that, but my break even's higher than obviously just buying the ETF here. All right, Carter, thank you so much for sharing your fine sure, work. Guys. I'm worth charting here. Um, you heard it here first. And, and you know what? Listen, if they actually want to hear it first, in your inbox, you better go over to worthcharting.com. Uh, and, and all his stuff is one of the first reads that I get um, every morning. So, Carter, thanks so much, man, for being with us. All right, man. All right. No emojis. Guy. No hearts. <laughs> Just <laughs> charts. There you go. You're, you're like his hype man, man. All right. Let's talk a little. Um, we were talking about how the market, it, it seems like it's raging today. You know, we yeah. had that, that kind of couple day sell off. Um, I think it was on Thursday on the market call. I talked about a little um, pairs I was putting on um, in options, uh, short exposure in Microsoft. Okay. And I'm short dated. I was looking out a little more than a week this Friday and I had a 265, 255 put spread. That, that went in the money very quickly, quickly. Um, on Friday. Um, and then I was buying Google um, at 94 bucks. Mm -hmm. So we have new Google at 94.62. Microsoft's gotten above the level. So I'm losing money in the Microsoft. I made a little money um, in the Google. That one's not going particularly great. I'm going to throw that. Um, we have a comparison chart just to show just the percentage um, outperformance in Microsoft. Guy, thoughts here because, you know, Microsoft up 3.5%. And given all, uh, I mean, this stock has come a long way since its post earnings, you know what I mean, sell off here. Do I stick this one out here? Um, because I think this so. one, it, it's, feeling, it's feeling a little painful. And the Google still feels like it just can't get out of its own way. Now, and it, over the weekend, I know you mentioned it earlier today, but over the weekend, there's obviously articles coming out speaking about exactly this. This sort, I don't want to say this existential moment for Google because that's been a bit hyperbolic. But obviously, it's a period of time where they have to probably focus on things that they didn't think necessarily think they had to focus on, which might make them spend money where they don't want to spend and might make them take their eye off the ball on things they should be focused on. The question you have to ask yourself is, at what point do valuations matter? And again, you could have made a very compelling case for Google all the way down in terms of valuation but it is relatively inexpensive, especially compared to itself historically, number one. A lot of bad news now in the name in terms of some of the headlines we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Microsoft, which is up, I think, $9 today, the last I looked, um, a significant move, again, back above 270 It just got itself very expensive very quickly. You know, It went from a reasonably priced stock to a company that's probably trading close to 24 times next year's numbers. And Go back to their last quarter and read the, read the release and read some of the metrics. They were fine, 
but by Microsoft's, um, by the way, Microsoft's level, they weren't particularly good if you compare it to historical. And again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an expensive stock in this environment. And the CEO basically told you exactly that. I can't really explain uh, the move from that 232 low post earnings to levels we are right now. Obviously, the broader market helps. Obviously, some of this Google news. But I think your thesis for a pairs trade, you know, being short Microsoft, being long Google is spot on. Yeah, and I'll just, because I like this name here and I like his comment too, putting on the VIX in the comment section here, guy, he's saying, could oh, that's be- like right out of as uh, Young Frankenstein. As, yeah, that's right. As uh, inflation has peaked, liquidity improving, Fed tightening pace peak, can't get too sucked into the negative four PEs. And, 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 and again, you might be- um, 100% um, correct here. So we're going to see, let's see what that CPI reading is um, tomorrow. I think the reaction to it is going to be really interesting. Obviously, guy, a super hot or a super cold number, we're going to see big moves one way or another. Okay. Yeah. And, but, and, and Liz said earlier in the show we did, you know, there's a chance it comes in right on the screws and yeah. the market sort of, it's a yawner. That's obviously. That, that's what I'm actually most interested in. I want to see that it comes in in line. Okay. Given what the Fed has said of late. Mm -hmm. And then some of the commentary that we're starting to think about as it relates to, let's say stuff is, it really, you know, China and that sort of thing. What happens to inflation? And might, that might be the reason why they keep things um, really kind of tight here. All right. Last thing I want to do here, guy, I went a little dumpster diving here today. Um, I went, I bought a little snap. Um, and oh, I bought, dumps, oh, little, I've heard that expression. Yeah. And look at this thing again, you know, this stock traded down to 10 after earnings. Oh, um, sub big, 10. Yeah. Well, briefly, and you know, it's funny. I had a put position on, I covered it when it was sub 10 here. I thought it would get to nine. It didn't Buying it a little bit here, maybe it's being a little too cute. You see that uptrend that's been in from that kind of $8 level in late December. So um, I'm going to stop that on the long side um, to the downside, excuse me, at 10. And the other name, and I know you're going to hate this. I know you're going to hate this one, but I want you to look at Lyft, okay? And I bought a little of this at 10.15 today, all right? Look at where this stock was just trading. We talked about it on Fast yeah, Now, Okay, so I'm going to stop you for a yeah. second. Because yeah. you're right. This is, and we talked about this on Fast Money, and I'm pulling it up right now. And the day they reported, if you recall, I, I said on the show, I said this stock went from basically 987 up to 18 bucks. I said yep. it's going to round trip. I said you're probably going to see 10 and a quarter. And I know a lot of people are like you got your f in mind. Meanwhile, I think today's low was like 1010 or something. So no, I think you're spot on with this. Well, you said it when the stock was trading 12 in the aftermarket. We were like, the stock's down 25%. That was just on the day. It already come off a little bit from that $18.5 level. way I'm thinking about this, okay, it was a disastrous quarter. The guidance was disastrous. They said some things that were kind of nonsensical here. They did $4.1 billion in sales last year, expected to do this year $4.5 billion, maybe $5.1 um, next. Okay, so this is not like crazy expected revenue growth here guy and i know that this is just north american ride share um the margins um expected to improve meaningfully this year to maybe high 40s maybe low 50s um next year and on a gap basis for you know expected to lose a half a billion or a little more um and net income here on a four and a half billion dollar i just feel like if you think about this and i just want to say from an enterprise value standpoint guy okay they're still losing money 
Okay. They're still losing a lot of money, but this has a $3 billion enterprise value. They have $1.8 billion in cash, 3.8 um, market cap and only 1 billion in debt. This is too cheap of an asset. And I put it in my, you know, we do those fast money acronyms. I put lift at the start of the year and I put snap. I think that strategically these companies will get bought. And I think that they probably stem their losses by being part of a larger company okay a platform or something like that so that's why i'm buying lift here at 10 15 makes sense i thought it could trade down here it did snap i thought the tell was the fact that it sold off hard and by the next day it had given it had gotten it all back and some to the upside and this is an interesting comment and this is i I am not casting aspersions at all but this i find this to be interesting it's from nola trader how do you guys hate on microsoft and love junks like snap and lift this is not uh we're not making commentary about the companies i've said it a hundred times i think microsoft is one of the three or five most important companies in the world without question it comes down to you know how do they what do we think of them in terms of trades that's really the only lens that i'm looking through if you want to have a conversation about how important microsoft is vis-a-vis snap and lift yeah we can have that conversation and i'm going to be lined up with you if you want to talk about the trading opportunities in those three names vis-a-vis where they've gone over the last couple of weeks. That's an entirely different conversation. David. Yeah. You know, listen, we're on a show called um, Fast Money. Uh, we, we're doing the market call, MRKT call here. We're not doing deep dives um, for you guys right here on the fundamentals. We're just kind of trading stocks here. So again, it's a, really about price action. It's about how to express those views in the markets, whether we just look at what we did today. We talked about using an ETF, using a stop. We talked about using options in an ETF. We talked about buying, you know, stocks that are declined, you know, 70%. I mean, like, you know, I mean, like we're trading here, people. Um, we appreciate all the commentary though. So we're not hating on your comment and we appreciate it. And that's why we bring it up and we tease it out. And we want to explain how we're thinking about things and how we're doing it. Microsoft, great company, 272 and a half, uh, too expensive. I think it pulls back for some a whole host of reasons and then the flip side of it is it's just again you know we'll cut our losses if we're wrong and we'll tell you here because we're trying to be really transparent right guy no hating here peeps just no hating just trading or something like that that maybe i'll come up with a tagline what do you got nice water there by the way yeah we got water here well we got a big cnbc's fast money five o'clock the world's gonna look at 1 30 today eastern time i think the world looks much different this time tomorrow we'll see um a lot of interesting, just a lot of interesting moves going on uh, to and fro. But that's it for today's Market Call. Dan, I want to thank our audience. I want to thank the great Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting. I want to thank, obviously, you because you drive this boat. You are the quint of Market Call. I'm just like Hooper or something uh, like that. You know what you I'm did there? Saying, yep, you're doing a little Jaws. I, I think love that's it. what you well, were doing. I, mean, I know Because Robert are. Shaw, one of the great... Robert Shaw, by the way, you peeps out there, Google Robert Shaw. He stole every movie that he was in, including The Sting, including Jaws, including the taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. Hold on. Wasn't he also in The Deep? He was in The Deep with Jacqueline Bissett and Nick Nolte. Just kills it left and right. He was also a Bond villain. I mean, he's just, he was the shit. Anyway, that's it. I want to thank FactSet, Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow, just the two of us. 1 p.m. Eastern. See you later. See you later. Thanks, guys.